Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industry from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to have more impact when working harder isn't working by Eric Nervich. Now, Eric is an executive coach at TooManyTrees.com who draws on 20 years of experience in the tech industry to help leaders have more impact. He loves to identify and challenge mindsets and habits that hold his clients back from their next level of leadership. Before becoming a coach, he spent 10 years as an engineer and product manager across several startups before uh, joining a company called Google, eventually leading business strategy and operations for their Google search edge product team as chief of staff for 10 or for six years. Great to have you here, Eric. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. I'm really excited to be on the show. So in uh, your new enterprise, who do you serve? I serve leaders. I work with leaders to help them be more effective and impactful. And the way I try to do that is help them see how they're holding themselves back. I often say that despite all the external circumstances in the world, there's one thing that you always control, which is your next action. And so how do you take that action with intention, with purpose, and with clarity. And by helping leaders figure out what's most important to them to get that clarity and then focus their attention there, that then leads to them being more impactful. So uh, I imagine you've identified some common leadership problems that you're able to solve. So what are some of the problems that you can point out to our listeners? Like you alluded it to my introduction, which is the when working harder isn't working. When you're doing more and more of the same thing, and it's not getting you better results. And sometimes it's getting you further behind. This is especially problematic for leaders in Silicon Valley who are often engineers, who are very good at solving problems, very good at doing the technical work. And so as they get more and more scope, they're like, I need to do more and more technical work. I need to solve more and more problems myself. That works great until they get to a certain level of leadership and they just do not scale. And so learning, helping them let go of that idea that their job is to solve problems themselves instead of creating a team that solves those problems. So that's one very common blocker that I work with. It's like going from being the domain expert that solves problems to being the leader that creates teams that solves problems. Yeah, and I suppose there's some uh, reason why there's one, uh, one leader slash manager per team of seven, eight, or nine. So maybe, Eric, uh, our listeners would benefit from you uh, maybe giving us a real life example of a client, how they found you, how you identified their issues, and then how you work them through your process to get to resolution and success. Sure. So let's think of an example. So one example that comes to mind is a VP of engineering at a startup. Very successful guy. He actually found me because we used to work together at Google. So he already knew me. And he came to be like, realizing that he wanted to have more impact and he was doing, he was running his tech org great. His engineering org was working great, but there's all these other VPs at his company, the sales and product and marketing that weren't, he was not working well with. And he's, I just want them to stay out of my way so I can do my engineering. And I want them to stay out of my business and I'll stay out of their business. And 
I said to him, did you observe that or did he, did he was able to verbalize that problem to you? He verbalized that okay. as his, his problem. And in response, I challenged him and said, you're an executive now. Your job is to make the company successful, not engineering successful. And he didn't like that at all. He's like, but I know how to do engineering. I'm like, yes, I know. But I don't know how to do the other thing. I'm like, you're not, you don't have to know, but you have to work with them to figure out how to make the company successful. So we, the key insight for him was that he'd gotten to where he was by knowing his domain, like knowing what to do was his secret sauce, his power. And the direction I gave him was learning is more important than knowing. So when he's going into these other domains, marketing and sales, like you don't have to know. You have to be open to learn. You have to be curious. You have to ask questions, understand what's going on over there so you can figure out how to work with them, not know and tell them what to do, not have the answer, but create the answer together. And the story I like to tell is like four months after we started working together, he comes into one of my sessions and he's, I am so frustrated with my fellow VPs. Like they just want to stick to their own domain. They're not willing to work with me to get stuff done. They're just like only focus on what they do. Why won't they work with me? I'm like, I just burst out laughing. I'm like, do, do you understand that you are, <laughs> that you're decrying them for the same thing you did four months ago? This is not long ago. And since then he's been promoted to SVP. He's the confidant of the CEO and has just created, taken a lot on a lot more scope because he realized that was the possibility for him was in creating those connections in creating the team and being curious. That's a great example. I liked, I liked that the way you wrapped it up at the end there with his, if you will, new position, which is certainly an executive versus a leadership position. Eric, you have gotten yourself into an extremely competitive environment. Lots and lots of solopreneurs that are competing with you. Lots of gigantic companies. So when somebody asks you, how are you different from your competition? How do you nail that question? I guess the my first insight is I don't talk about myself. When I meet somebody new, they often find their way to me through my network or through LinkedIn. And we have a free introductory chat. And in that chat, I'm not talking about me. They don't want to, they don't care about me. They want to know how can I help them solve their problem. So if I can, in the first 30 minutes, identify what's going on with them, see their perspective and show them possibilities for what could be different, they were going to walk away from that conversation feeling like they got a ton of value from that inter interaction. That's how I show up. Yes, I have the experience. Yes, I worked at Google. Yes, I have degrees and blah, 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 but nobody cares. How am I going to help them solve their problem? If I show them I can do that, I earn their trust and we move forward from there. Yeah, I like the way you explain that. Yeah, nobody cares about that. And yet, all your, not all, but I think most all of your competitors have this, if you will, deck that's already designed. They want everybody in the organization to use the same deck. And it's all about them, which is a very good insight. So tell us about your business. So how did you go about getting yourself kicked out of big, big organization, Google, and end up doing what you're doing now? So maybe three or four of your major wins, Eric, and then maybe a couple of major losses that, and then I guess primarily, would you learn from those wins in your life and the losses? Okay. Let me think about how to answer that. So let me start with the losses because they kind of set the stage here. 
So okay. my job before Google, I got fired. I was working with a CEO founder. We did not agree on how to how I should be doing my job. I was stubborn and kept doing what I thought was the right thing. And he didn't agree. So he's like, you do not have a future at this company. You should go find something else. And that was the first time in my life I'd been told like, yeah, we don't want you here. You're not good enough. Not really, so how, really. How hurt. old you were when that happened? Excuse me? How old were you at that time? What was this? 2008. So I would have been 34. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of decades thinking that you're always on a winning track. Uh, it really is. And so that hit me really hard to say, have somebody say like, you don't have value at this company. So I get to my next, so I actually then go from there. I get hired at Google and I was like, okay, I'm going to show this that I have to belong. I deserve it. I'm going to be lights out here at Google. And I got given a, a lot of responsibility early on. And once I proved I could do stuff, they gave me more. Once I proved I could do that, they gave me more. Once I proved I could do that, they gave me more. And I'd and never been in a situation. In your knife and, right? Yeah, they could, I'd never been in a situation where they would just keep on piling on more work. Because I, and it got to the point where I was working 100-hour weeks pretty regularly, trying to keep up with everything. I was told this is what I had to do to earn a promotion. And I was desperate to earn that promotion because that would prove I belong. That would prove I had deserved things. I would prove I'd recovered from being fired and showing I didn't have worth. Um, of course, if you do this kind of workload for three years, your body eventually gives out, which is what happened. And over Christmas break one year, I uh, was like lying in bed sick for a week, just unable to get out of bed, 103 degree fever. And I was sitting there or lying there going, what am I doing? I haven't seen my friends in a year. I haven't done anything except work in a year. I can't even see my family at Christmas because I'm sick. What, what am I doing? Why do I want this promotion so much? And for the first time in a long time, probably the first time in my life, I was like, what if I just didn't go after the promotion? What if I just stopped working so hard? And so we'll get to this later, but I've published a new book called You Have a Choice. And this is the first time I was like, oh, I have a choice. Like I could stop doing this. And so I did. I went into my manager. I said, I'm not working that hard anymore. This is, I'm not doing that. So much like, new year resolution, huh? The time. Yeah, I worked first one-on-one -on -one in, in the new year. Yeah. Manager's okay, if you can't handle the work, I'm going to give it to somebody that can. I'm like, okay. You can't handle the work. You're not getting that promotion. Your performance rate is going down. I'm like, I understand. And so all the worst consequences I had feared came true. I didn't, my performance rating got slashed. She took away half my team. And instead of feeling awful and a failure and just all the things I had feared, I actually felt free and liberated. Like, oh, I can actually have a life now. I can do things outside of work. This is a much better choice for me at this time in my life. And that was just like this mind-blowing opening moment. of I've been so scared of failure. I've been so scared of not filling expectations that the idea that I could just decide not to fill somebody's expectations, especially my managers, was unbelievable to me. Unthinkable, in fact, until I was lying sick in bed. And then I went through it. And I was like, oh, what other choices have I been missing in my life? So rolling that forward a few years later, I went from that job into the chief of staff job at, with the search ads team at Google, which was a tremendous job. It was a great fit for me. I got to have poke my nose in everything. I worked with an amazing VP, Jerry Dishler, who's now running all of ads at Google. And it was a wonderful time for me because I had control over my life again. I was like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm not gonna do. I had these conversations with my boss and said, 
here's what makes sense. Here's what I'm not going to do. And we're going to find somebody else to do it. And we worked out the parameters of the job in a way that made sense for me. But I did that for whatever, over six years. But four to five years into that, I was like, okay, what's next for me? This is great. I love it. I love working with this VP. And part of it was prompted by the fact that Google was at performance review time and they were like giving me a rating and they're like, this is what you need to be doing to be successful. And I'm like, I don't agree with those criteria. That's not how I want to measure success in this job. So I was complaining to a friend, they're measuring me on the wrong things at work. My friend was like, okay, so what are the right things? How do you want to be measured? And that was like, oh God, I have no idea how to answer that question. So that was, that great... was yeah, yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> but as I sat back and spent a few months reflecting on that, I realized what I really cared about was connection, having impact, helping people get unstuck, one-on-one -on -one conversations. And like the favorite part of my job in that chief of staff job was working with my VP, talking one-on-one, -on -one, like, where do we go from here? What should we focus on? What's important? And my friend said, that sounds like coaching. Have you considered coaching as a possibility? I'm like, wait, that's a job? So then I started exploring it. I went and got uh, trained and certified. I started coaching business on the side. And after that showed a little bit of promise and traction, I left Google and decided to go full-time a little over four years ago now. Okay. What do you feel right now is holding your business back? I feel like the main thing holding my business back is awareness. That's part of why I'm on your podcast, actually, is once people talk to me and feel the impact and feel my presence, they want to work with me. Like my, my conversion rate from an intro chat into paying clients is great. I just don't have enough people coming in the top of the funnel. And so that's part of why I'm publishing a book. That's why I'm going on podcasts now is I realized what I need to do is get myself out there. And that was hard for me. I'm an introvert. I don't like being the center of attention. I like being the one kind of sitting in the corner and observing things. And what I realized is that's the thing holding me back. I need to put myself out there more. I need to be willing to tell my stories and talk to people and make myself the center of attention, not in an over top of the way, but in a way that's designed to connect me to the people I can help because that's what motivates me now. So talk about people that you can help. How can our listeners, Eric, get a hold of you? What's the best way? The easiest way to get a hold of me is through my site, which is too many trees.com. You asked about that in the intro. Too many trees is based on the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Like you're in the forest, there's so many trees in the way you can't see the, what's going on, you can't see the big picture. And I'm really good at helping myself and my clients get out of the woods into the big picture. What's happening from up above the 30,000 foot view? And so when I was looking for a name for my coaching business, I was Googling or like looking for domain names that are available and too many trees was available and I thought it was catchy. So I got it. Yep. But yeah. So too many trees.com is where you can reach me. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. If you can spell my name, uh, which is <laughs> difficult, but you'll see it in the, the show notes. Um, but for people that are just listening, spell your name. And is Nancy E H R L I C H. And my first name is Eric E R I C. There you go. Excellent. Get some hydration as I ask this final question. What is the question, Eric, that you were thinking Bill should be asking me and I didn't think of that would, one, be something I didn't think of, and two, something that would give great value to our listeners?
I guess what I'll, uh, I guess the question maybe <laughs> that would be something in the order of what's some wisdom that will help your listeners move forward. And, uh, I think the, the answer I would give to that is, uh, it's, it's a twofold answer. One is you can't do it all. And what I mean by that is like, there are people that try to be great at their, at work, in their family, in their activities, and this is a volunteer. And like, when you split your attention five ways, you're never going to be as effective as somebody that picks one thing and focuses on it. And that's okay. You can choose to do that. Again, it's a choice, but recognizing that you're not going to be as effective as somebody that's completely focused is something that's worth remembering. Because the thing that is finite is our time and attention. We only have so much time each day, each week to put into the things we care about. And doing that and being intentional about how we spend that time is really the, the theme of my book. You have a choice. Where are you going to put your time and attention and choose that intentionally? The other piece of wisdom is it doesn't have to be this way. The reason we get stuck trying to split our church in so many ways is we have these internal rules. I have to do this. I have to do whatever my manager says. I must do whatever my kids need. I have to support all my friends whenever they ask for something. And it's, if you have too many of these have tos and musts and stuff, you become over constrained. There's no room for you to move. And understanding that those are often rules we are putting on ourselves. We're holding ourselves to a higher standard than other people are expecting of us. And we're also not willing to suffer the consequences. So in my case, the, the revelation was, I must do whatever my manager says. That was the rule. And I burned myself out trying to follow that rule. And when I was lying sick in bed, I changed it to, I must do whatever my manager says, unless I'm willing to accept the consequences of not doing so. Once I out added that little proviso, the whole world opened up in a new way. And so that's when I say it doesn't have to be this way. That's what I mean. You can expand your rules just a little bit, loosen them, unconstrain yourself a little bit, create more possibilities for action. And so with my clients, I often ask them to try what I call an experiment. Try something a little different that feels a little uncomfortable, not your normal reaction, and see what happens. Let's test those constraints and see how strong they are. Oh, that's good. I love that bit of wisdom. So, Eric, thanks very much for sharing your time, your energy, and your wisdom. We appreciate it very much. Thanks so much, Bill. I really appreciate you being on, having being on the show. Okay, everybody. Let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there by the owner first creating a visionary strategy Second, having a management system to execute on that strategy. And number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands on those three. Just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening, Eric. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thanks again, Bill.